0: Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly discussion on what's happening in Westminster from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne. In this episode, we'll be delving into this week's coronavirus developments, Boris Johnson's return to Downing Street, the first indications of an exit strategy from the lockdown, whether Matt Hancock is going to hit his 100,000 tests for coronavirus a day, and the UK's soaring death rate, which is looking very bad by international comparisons. I'm delighted to be joined remotely, of course, by our political editor George Parker, economics editor Chris Giles, and political correspondent Laura Hughes. Thank you all for joining. If you find yourself liking this episode of FT Politics, then do subscribe to all the usual channels to receive it every Saturday morning. And we haven't forgotten that we do like nice reviews too. And thank you for sticking with us during the coronavirus crisis. We hope, as ever, the quality is listenable. There was one big development in Westminster this week. Boris Johnson came back to work three weeks after going into St Thomas's Hospital in London for severe coronavirus symptoms, including several days in intensive care. The Prime Minister was back and he was bored by the arrival of his baby son. But Boris Johnson's first big task as ever is to get into this thorny question of the exit strategy, how the UK is going to get out of the lockdown now that the peak of the virus appears to have passed. So George Parker, Boris Johnson gave us his first press conference on Thursday. And the main thing from the Prime Minister was the government confirming that the worst of this pandemic seems to have passed by, you know, some experts say the peak of the virus was a couple of weeks ago, which means now there's even more pressure on this question of what the next phase, the second phase of fighting coronavirus is going to look like.
1: Well, that's right. It was his first appearance at a press conference for a number of weeks, and the first since he came out of hospital after his own personal bout of coronavirus. And although anyone looking at the charts could have seen that the virus had peaked a couple of weeks ago, as you say, it was the first time the government has officially pronounced that we're through the peak and we're, in Boris Johnson's words, coming out of the long alpine tunnel and we can see the sunlight ahead. Well, what does that start to look like is the question that ministers are going to have to grapple with next week as they come up with this menu of options that Boris Johnson talked about for lifting restrictions. I think it's important here to distinguish between two different questions they're facing. One is that there are large sections of the economy which are closed at the moment, thanks to the lockdown, and it measures announced on March the 23rd, particularly schools, non-essential retail and hospitality. But also there's a question about how the government coaxes a country, which frankly is frightened, out of their homes and back into the workplace, and how you can persuade bosses to open their workplaces in a safe way. And that's one of the big things I think we'll be hearing More about in the coming
0: days. One thing we've had a sense of from Downing Street, George, is this idea that in some ways the lockdown was too effective, that they didn't think the level of businesses would actually close that inevitably did. And there's quite a lot of polling kicking around that shows that Britain is actually very scared about going back to work. That does create this challenge because in the Treasury and the other economic ministries, they're desperate to get the economy moving again. But if people don't leave the lockdown, then they're not going to be able to. So, how are they going to get around this?
1: But well, I think you're right. I think that the government's misjudged the public mood from the start on this. And if you recall, the public had gone into a lockdown even before the government announced it. As you remember, that sporting fixtures were being closed, people weren't going to work. And so one of the things the government's are doing now is to try to come up with a framework, which they're discussing with the unions and the employers on how you can make the workplace safe. So these are sort of standard measures like distancing wherever possible, more hand sanitising, closing down canteens, staggering shift patterns, and all the rest of it. But the whole idea of this, it's been coordinated by Alok Sharma, the business secretary, is to reassure people that they're not doing something dangerous or irresponsible if they go to work. Now, a lot of people listening to this podcast, professionals, will be told to carry on working from home wherever possible to avoid putting pressure on the public transport system, for example. But for many other people, maybe you're doing manual work or in other sectors, it's really important, I think, that people start to return to the workplace and get back to business as normal as soon as possible if they're in parts of the economy which have not actually been closed down.
0: One thing, Laura Hughes, on this that I found interesting is the question of face masks, that so many other countries have already gone down this road of saying that if you're going to be out and about on public transport, then you do need a face mask. And up until that press conference on Thursday with Boris Johnson, UK ministers had said the science is not there. This is not something we actually need to consider. But then the prime minister came along and said psychologically, if not medically, it might be a good thing to give people that confidence to get out and about. So it feels... Almost inevitable that we are going to have some recommendations in that big decision moment next week about face masks.
2: Yeah, and Nicola Sturgeon earlier this week said that the Scottish Government were going to start recommending the wearing of face masks in some situations. So, given we tend to follow exactly what Scotland does and there has overall been a UK wide approach, that feels very likely. I think one of the reasons perhaps they've tried to hold back on issuing this new guidance is we know there's a shortage of. Essential PPE masks for NHS and social care workers at the moment. And I think the government probably wanted to avoid mass panic buying that could potentially take away vital resources off the front line. But we've seen other countries like America, not just countries like South Korea and China, who have started to wear masks. And so It does feel like it's something people, A, might want to start wearing because it makes them feel safer. And B, it looks like there is potentially some scientific evidence that's going to suggest we really should. And it does make a small difference. Now,
0: Chris, I would like to bring you here to talk about this question of the peak, because this has been measured in several different ways. There's questions about the number of people tested positive with coronavirus, the number of people who have died from coronavirus, and also the pressure it's put on the NHS. So when Boris Johnson said that we have now passed the peak, by what metric does he mean that? And what's your view on how that compares to other countries?
3: I think there's no doubt we have passed the peak on pretty much all the measures. The one where it's still pretty high and flat is of the number of people who've tested positive, but that's completely dominated by the number of tests carried out. So that doesn't really tell us what's been happening to the underlying virus. If you look at Public Health England figures on the number of people who have phoned 111 complaining of being short of breath, for example, that's come down a long way from three weeks ago and the number of deaths peaked on roughly April the 8th in hospitals. We don't know exactly when they peaked in care homes because that was clearly later but we hope that they have peaked there too but there's no doubt that in the community as a whole the virus has peaked. It's still not down at manageable levels where you could be willing to take many risks because it is very infectious and can rise again quite quickly.
0: Now, let's go into everybody's new favourite slogan, which is the RA. This is something that Boris Johnson talked a lot about in that press conference on Thursday. The government even produced a handy little video to explain what it is and why it's important. Chris, could you just take us through what exactly is the RA and why it's important for how and when we exit the lockdown?
3: It's really quite a simple concept, Seb. It's the reproduction rate, which is looking at how many people one person who has the virus infects. So if one person infects two people, and that two people infect another two, making it four, eight, 16, 32, the number of people in the country that has coronavirus expands exponentially. Any number above one creates an exponential curve. So if you have it at one then the number of people in the country who have the virus stays exactly the same. Any number above one, it goes up. Any number below one, it comes down. Now, the real problem with this is you can't measure it. So you have to infer it from all the other data you've got. And so it is things like people ringing 111, complaining of being short of breath, which is a key symptom of coronavirus, which allows people to say, well, that's come down a lot. So it
0: must be below one at the moment but we don't know because you can't measure it. It certainly is interesting, George, that Boris Johnson put this front and centre of trying to explain this next stage of the lockdown. We're expecting to get a fuller plan for May the 7th, when the government does have to either review or renew the lockdown. And throughout this, Downing Street have always said everything we're doing is being guided by the scientific advice. And by putting this R concept at the front of the next stage, again, it seems like they're trying to make this look like a very scientific thing, even though in fact, It is still quite political what they're doing because withdrawing the lockdown is about risks and risks are political.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. There was the video you mentioned at the Downing Street press conference intended to provide a scientific basis for what they're doing. And it is a political decision. A couple of weeks ago, there was quite a fiery debate inside the cabinet at the top table really about whether you could start to reopen the economy when the R rate was still quite close to one, let's say 0.8 or 0.9. And this was a view taken by Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, and Michael Gove, Cabinet Office Minister, who basically thought that the NHS could run hot, was the expression they were using, the idea that it would be running just below capacity, but you'd accept a bit more infection in the community. And Matt Hancock, the health secretary, said, no, you're completely wrong. And Matt Hancock seems to prevailed in this argument. And I think it goes down to the fact that the science around this is still quite tricky, as Chris mentioned. Actually measuring the R number is difficult. And the idea that you could somehow keep the R number just below one so the disease is not increasing exponentially. When the data is lagging as well, it just turned out to be an incredibly difficult concept to try to put into practice, which is one of the reasons why the government is pursuing a strategy which is much more like the one being pursued in South Korea, where you try to drive an R number down towards zero, when you can then introduce the testing and tracing scheme they want to do.
0: That hopefully brings me on to my next question for Laura, which is this whole strategy depends on test, track and trace, announced by Matt Hancock two weeks ago, where he said that to exit the lockdown we were going to need lots of widespread national testing, which would require hitting that hundred thousand a day figure, plus introducing a network of contact tracers and that NHS app. So on each of those things, Laura, can you just give us an overview where we are? We're recording this on Friday, so we don't quite know if Matt Hancock has hit that hundred thousand tests that he promised by the end of April, but it does look surprisingly close. I think we can probably just about give him credit for almost getting there.
2: Yes, it does look on Friday morning as if they are going to narrowly reach their target. Really, it's quite extraordinary, actually. They've managed to almost double the number of tests that are being carried out in the space of a couple of days, which nobody thought possible. In large part, that's because they've dramatically expanded eligibility for these tests. There have been huge problems since the target was announced. Initially, officials were blaming lab capacity, a lack of testing kits for the reason why so few were actually being carried out. Later on, they were saying that there just wasn't enough demand. And we know a large part of that is because these NHS workers who desperately needed the tests to see whether or not they were safe to work couldn't get to the centres that they were doing the test. They were driving for hours on end, and that wasn't possible for many. So the government launched a site last week where they've offered home testing kits, which has made a massive difference, and also online booking systems for drive-through centres. A lot of them are being run by the army, and we've seen them springing up over the last few weeks. But the testing question is really interesting. A, on the surface, this was a big number that was put out there by Matt Hancock because the government was coming under a lot of pressure You had NHS workers saying they desperately needed them. But just in the longer term, the reason why building capacity has been so important is that it's vital, really, if the government are going to try and emulate the South Korean approach, which, as George mentioned, is about getting the spread and the numbers down dramatically so that you have the ability to trace, track and test those cases that are still popping up. And Matt Hancock has said that 100,000 tests is enough to start carrying out that approach. But there's some scepticism over that. And of course, you need this new NHS app to be up and running. There are trials ongoing. It's all very, very secretive. We don't know if it seems to be working. We know that for it to work to the best ability it can, around 80% of the population are going to need to download it and to use it, which is something that some experts are warning is, is going to be very difficult because even in South Korea, there was a very small take up of the app. And in conjunction with the app, They're training 18,000 public health and volunteers to basically work in tandem with the app to go out and access people that don't have smartphones. Government officials are saying all of this will be ready in a matter of weeks. The reason this is so crucial is that I just don't think that the government can really start to talk about easing measures until they have a strategy for containing new cases that pop up the reason the numbers are falling is because everyone's staying at home. The moment you start letting people out again, you need a strategy and you need a system.
0: Yes, George, because there has been a bit of a push-pull inside government on this. Boris Johnson referenced Germany, which has started to move out of its lockdown, but its R8 has started to increase again and I think there is this big fear within Downing Street they don't want to have to have a second big lockdown unless they absolutely have to and in the analysis piece you wrote this you quoted Callan Fairburn from the CBI who said that businesses really feel that they might be able to get back up again if they're knocked down once but if you knock them down twice it's going to be much harder. Yeah
1: I think that's correct a while back there was sort of, seemed to be two camps there were the sort of the health hawks and the economy hawks and they seem to be in two different groups and I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that the two camps have really come together and realised that actually a good health policy is also a good economic policy. And not only would a second big spike be a health disaster for the country, but also it just cries out common sense that it would be terrible for the business community that just as they start to reopen, they're then told to close down again. Because of course, if you're running a business which is already on its knees, the idea that you've just been asked to lock down again You're thinking in the back of your mind, yeah, but what happens when I'm asked to lock down for a third time, maybe a fourth time? And at that point, you're in really serious economic trouble.
0: Now, Chris, we still don't know exactly what the exit and the lockdown is going to look like, but all the indications we've got from the government are that it's going to be sector by sector and that guidance is being drawn up by the Department for Business to go to each different industry to explain what they can do, how they can operate safely with social distancing measures going on there. How do you see that looking? You know, which areas are they going to target first and which ones are going to be last? And again, how effective do you think this is going to be?
3: Well, I think they want to target first areas that they were slightly concerned and surprised, lockdown more than they expected. So construction, other outdoor work will come first. And I think then Right at the end, it will be office workers who can safely work from home and it doesn't make a huge difference. So we don't know exactly in what order it's going to be, but that's the sort of rage manufacturing, along with construction at the beginning of the phased process. But I think, again, it's going to be slow and they're going to want to gradually open up and then check that the various things they can measure, like whether people seem to be getting sick, whether that changes, and then they will keep constantly trying to monitor that in as real-time way as they possibly can to see whether the estimate of the R value is going up. And if it stays under control and they have track and tracing, if that seems to be working, then they'll progressively open up.
0: Now, the other issue that's been dominating political debate this week has been the UK's death rate. And when you look at the charts that Downing Street produce every day, the UK's numbers have been ticking up and the ONS has revised its numbers to now include care homes. And the picture is simply getting worse and worse. Chris, you've been, again, doing lots of digging into this for the FT and have also produced your own model of what exactly the true death rate might look like. What's your view on this? Because Boris Johnson again said we shouldn't try and delve and compare 2DB to other countries because it's not helpful. But I do remember at the beginning of this crisis when the Prime Minister said the key metric will be how the death rate compares to other countries. So is this a changing political strategy? And what's the actual important number bit to watch?
3: Yes, it is all very difficult. And there's now even more numbers than there were before. So it's even harder now. And it is. Quite striking, I think, if you watch the Downing Street briefings every day where one member of the triumvirate will put up some charts showing Britain compared with other countries and then all three of them will say, you mustn't, mustn't compare Britain with other countries and these numbers don't mean anything. I think it is the chart that they put up which are not very helpful. It is probably almost certainly too early to compare on a like-for-like basis what's going on between Britain and other countries. But it doesn't mean you can't say anything. And certainly Britain's numbers are going to be bad internationally. And that is a conclusion I think we can come to very easily now. So let me just say, what do we know? Well, I think put aside the daily numbers on hospital deaths and the new ones. They have a phrase, they say it includes all settings, but it doesn't include all deaths. And you want to look at all deaths. They also say, so Boris Johnson said this on Thursday, along with Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance, they all said that the best measure is all-cause mortality. So that's really just literally counting how many people have died and comparing that with how many people normally die at the same point of a year. And that data comes out a little bit delayed. comes out in England and Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland at different times, and it is all a bit of a mess, but it's very, very clear. And the data up to about mid-April, the UK had just under 30,000 excess deaths in all-cause mortality. And you see that number is already higher than the daily number they put out. And that was from mid-April, slightly different dates for England Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. So it doesn't take a lot of calculations. And it's not actually very difficult to calculate that. By the end of April or the beginning of May, as we are now, you add another two weeks to that. And so instead of around 30,000 my model says you're around 48,000 give or take a thousand or so either side because it's an estimate but the 30,000 is fact and that is high internationally we don't know exactly how high because actually on this the uk has really really good data and lots of other countries don't have nearly as good data and it's much delayed so it does look like the uk will be in a bit of a race with spain and Italy for the worst in Europe. And I think Boris Johnson and the scientists are right in saying we don't
0: know who is going to have the worst figures yet. George, how much of a problem do you think this is going to be for Boris Johnson? Because The opposition he's had to his plan from the Labour Party has mostly been about the exit strategy. Keir Starmer has been saying for quite some time, you need to set out a plan. And he was very pleased yesterday that the Prime Minister has set out more of a plan. But the opposition have been relatively restrained so far in criticising the government. And I guess the former supporter of Jeremy Corbyn have very aggressively been saying they're not going hard enough. And of course, this is all an example of how Keir Starmer might be a Tory stooge and all that sort of thing. But in fact, what Keir Starmer seems to be doing is playing it very carefully because the national mood still seems to be let's get behind the government and get through this crisis. But when it gets to the other side of this, if the numbers are as bad as Chris is pointing out, that is going to be a problem. And everyone talks about this inevitable inquiry. And there will be lots of tough questions about why the numbers are just so bad in the UK, even if the good news is we did increase the testing capacity and the NHS did cope
1: Well, I think it is going to be a problem for the government if the death rates are as high as Chris was suggesting there. And there'll be a lot of questions asked about the preparations for the pandemic, and in particular, the crucial two weeks or so between the 12th of March, when we stopped testing in the community, and the 23rd of March, when the lockdown was introduced, where clearly the epidemic was spreading much more quickly than the government thought, and is probably one of the main contributors to the high death rate. But whether that actually feeds into anger with Boris Johnson's government is a different question because, as you say, by the time we get to the inquiries at the end of this, the pandemic might be somewhere in the rear view mirror. And certainly the polling, as you suggest, is still pretty positive for Boris Johnson. The approval ratings for the government are high. The approval ratings for Boris Johnson's handling of the crisis are high and were boosted by the fact that he himself almost succumbed to the disease. So you can see why Keir Starmer is playing it very carefully. Keir Starmer can read the polls as well as anyone else can. And he knows the public are definitely not in the mood at the moment for mudslinging at the government about the way it is handling the crisis. It's frustrating for some Labour supporters, but I think everything Keir Starmer does, and I think he's made the right calculation on this, is not about trying to score points against the government at the moment. It's about looking prime ministerial. Everything that Keir Starmer does, I think, is judged on that basis. Does this make me look like someone the public can imagine stepping into number 10 and...
0: Because, Laura, it does feel as if the judgment really is going to come about how this next phase goes. There was a broad consensus across the scientific community and across government about the need to lock down. Even Dominic Cummings, the Prime Minister's Chief Advisor, it came out this week that he was one of the people most in favour of going into that lockdown. But there's still so much dispute about that exit strategy and how exactly you make that work in a reasonable way that brings together all the things we've said with test, track and trace, in a way that businesses are happy with, in a way that consumers and workers feel as if it's safe to go out again. And I think getting that right is going to be the biggest challenge for Boris Johnson, because if you move too quickly, then there's a risk that it just doesn't work and we end up back into a second peak and back into lockdown. But if you move too slowly, there's also this question of people just start breaking it themselves. And then, of course, the economic implications of that too.
2: I mean, I think the Prime Minister is aware of that. He tried desperately hard to sound optimistic on Thursday evening, but he was also really cautious. And he kept making the point that the country needed to desperately avoid a second peak. And I think if the country sees a second peak, then he will be in real trouble. But as we slowly come through this, and as the economy gets back working, people will remember that the government did step in and subsidise 80% of their wage during this time. And I think that's something the government are going to really lean on. Interestingly, yesterday, obviously, this is going to have catastrophic impact on the economy. And Boris Johnson was asked, are we going to see a return of austerity? And he flat out rejected that, which suggests that he doesn't want people to emerge from this feeling as though they've lost loved ones unnecessarily, and they've lost their jobs and their lives are now harder. We're probably going to see tax rises or more borrowing. But if you get that second peak, If those wages stop being paid, I do think the Prime Minister is in real trouble. And he knows that. And that's why he was also very, very cautious on Thursday. And everyone is expecting the easing of the lockdown to be done very, very cautiously and in very small baby steps.
0: Absolutely, I think we should prime ourselves for a long time of social distancing and a very slow gradual ease out of the lockdown. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much as ever to George, Chris and Law for joining us down the line. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard and like to see some more FT journalism, then do take a look at our latest subs offers, which you can find at ft.com forward slash offer. And we're still conducting our little survey to see what you do and don't like about the politics podcast. Send us your thoughts at ft. FT.com forward slash politics survey. FT Politics was presented by me, Sebastian Payne, and produced by Anna Dedder and Green Turner. Until next time, thanks for listening, stay safe, and keep well.
1: Planning for your next trip?